0: China announces anti-dumping duties on steel. The news from RTHK.
1: Welcome to the B is for Bacon show. It's just gone 8.30, so I thought we'd make today's show a breakfast show featuring the best ingredients to start your day. F is for fry-up style. JC Vien's The Bucks Fizz of the Wine World is back. And for a little bit of breakfast fun, I've set up Chef Neil Tomes like a kipper. He's testing a few gadgets that he's probably going to try and nick, given half a chance. And he's also promised to share... A recipe for a typical Scouser sausage later on in the show. He'll be doing it in his original tongue. But don't worry if you don't understand a word of it. I have put the proper English version up on our Beers for Bacon Facebook page. Now, and for today only, we double-dipping into the letter F in our alphabet soup. I did F last week, but I think it deserves a second go. As always, I've got a cookbook review... And it's an odd choice for me, actually, especially with a version of as-seen-on-TV plastered across the top. But it's a book that I bought nonetheless. And in keeping with our brekkie theme, I've got an old-fashioned chocolate favourite for spreading on toast. It comes directly from our man in Chai Wan, Chef Greg Wami Shou. Yes, Hong Kong's favourite baker will be sharing his own Homemade chocolate praline paste recipe. It's like Nutella, only much, much better. But before all of that Weetabix wackiness, let's start with a little bit of wine. (music) JC, something that's been on my mind, you know, I've been a chef for over 20 years and I've I've found, and I'm sure it's the same for, for all chefs, when we get invited to people's places for dinner, they are always terrified To cook for us. What about your side as a wine expert?
2: Yeah, people are terrified to bring anything. I mean, they don't bring wine anymore. They bring flowers for Maria. (laughs) And she's happy. (laughs) I guess there's a good side to my obsession. Now she gets all the presents. And for me, I get nothing in return. But talking about parties, actually, is very funny. Because when we, we are at home, we open everything. And in fact, it's a bit of a disaster. A few years ago, I did a party at home. And uh, I hid all these bottles of wine in my closet, uh, under my bed, in my suitcase, everywhere else because I did not want my guests to find them. But, And I had prepared the the bottles that we were going to drink with this dish and that dish and throughout the evening and to make the mood very good.
1: So you do match food and wine.
2: No, actually I match (laughs) mood and, and, and wine. And so eventually we had no more wine. And so what we did is we went on a treasure hunt, and I told my friends, "Okay, uh, I gave them clues on where to find the wine bottles in, in my apartment." And it was so funny because you know, after drinking so much, it was incredible, and people were actually digging. And finally, they found everything, and it was a, it was a big trouble. But Jason, please don't call me cheap, because I hid all my most expensive stuff away. And these devils, they found everything. And in the end, it broke the bank. It was a disaster. But don't worry about this. I mean, frankly speaking, if you're going to a house of someone who knows a little bit more about wine than you, whether this person is an expert or just a collector, I think that uh, the key is to bring something unusual. Whether it's expensive, whether it's cheap, it doesn't matter. A wine expert or a wine collector wants to discover new things. And... The best thing to do is, is you go to a wine shop and ask them which one you sell, you sell the least. Because if you sell it the least, if this wine shop sells it the least, it's because it's the most unusual, the most uh, hidden secret in the whole, uh, in the whole wine shop. So bring something unusual.
1: So now, uh, as an expert yourself, when you go to have dinner or go and meet friends that are in the same game as you and that they love wine, how much pressure are you under to take a grape that's going to surprise, um, knowing that they've probably got it or have tasted it?
2: It's a disaster, this Jason. <laughs> there seems to be there
1: seems to be disasters everywhere, Jason.
2: <laughs> I tell you, learning about wine is a big disaster because you never stop, and then the more you learn about it, the more you discover you know nothing about it, and the more you know nothing about it, the more you learn about it. The more you learn about it, the more you forget about it, and in the end, you know nothing anymore. <laughs> So when the pe- you go visit people and, and you bring wine, they always expect to be wowed. And so this is very, very important because people know that you have a, a hidden knowledge, that you know hidden stuff that they don't know. And so suddenly you need to bring something that will wow them. And uh, whether the people know or don't know about wine, for me, I think it's the same thing. So what secrets does he have under his sleeve that he's going to bring tonight? And so for this, for me, I come back to the rule that I was telling you about, bring something unusual. And I have something unusual. In fact, I am French-Canadian uh, from Quebec. And in Quebec, they do this uh, ice cider that is totally amazing. Imagine an ice cider. So they pick up the apples in January when it's minus 12 outside. And so the apples are frozen Hard and they make this, this cider that is unbelievable. It's so delicious, it's so rich, and it's so complex that uh, I am sure nobody has ever tasted that before. And so I bring this along, and people think, What a strange choice! and they put it away to forget about it and not open it. And towards the end of the evening, because it's a sweet cider, I insist, Please open this. And they get, the, the host will say, okay, fine, we open it. And every time, every time, there's never enough to go around. And they love this so much that they do as they do. They place the order uh, back to Canada and have a, a couple of cases being shipped uh,
1: to them. So we've been talking about people bringing wine to parties. What do you think about people taking wines to restaurants? I think people have to be cool about
2: it. Jason, I think that um, restaurants, are, frankly speaking, they, they they feed us, but they are also there to make money. And uh, uh, the wine program is very important to make that profit for them to be able to continue being in business, especially that in Hong Kong the rent is so expensive. So if we keep bringing our wine, they cannot earn from that. So we have to be cool about it. We have to be sport. And I think that what is very nice is when, Let's say I bring a bottle of wine for the main course, but I will be good and maybe order a bottle of champagne or a bottle of uh, uh, corta or a bottle of white wine for the beginning of the meal so that I'm working in a team with the restaurant. And I think this is fair and this is what um, is, a, is a good way to work, to work together in tandem with the restaurant. And the second rule, I would think, is that somebody should not bring to the restaurant what the restaurant already sells. I think this is also fair that if somebody sells, for example, Cloudy Bay in the wine list of the restaurant, don't bring your own Cloudy Bay to the restaurant. This is not very nice. I think that just as you would go to a friend's place and bring something unusual, why don't you go to a restaurant and bring something unusual and offer the sommelier a glass so that this sommelier can discover something new and then, perhaps even want to list it in the future on the on on the wine menu
1: so do you think there 's a difference between t- people who are taking wine to appreciate the wine or people who are taking uh, the wine to keep the cost of the bill down
2: I think that it 's both really I think some people they actually bring wine to a restaurant because they want to keep the cost down, uh, which is it makes sense i mean if if you you bring a very expensive bottle of wine. In a restaurant, it will be marked up maybe three or four times. And if this restaurant charges you 500 Hong Kong dollars for a corkage, it's much, much less bringing your own wine than actually buying this wine in the restaurant. So in, in your experience in Hong Kong... Do most restaurants allow this?
1: I think most restaurants are are quite flexible. Uh, As you said, if it doesn't appear on the wine list, I think it's fair game. Um, And I think there's an understanding that that if people come in uh, that have an appreciation of wine, you're just going to let it go and let them them enjoy their wine. Because at the end of the day, restaurants are there to be hospitable and show what they do, which is cook. Well, thanks very much, JC. I know you're traveling next week and we look forward to hearing from you from Burgundy. Most chefs will tell you that breakfast is probably the worst shift in the world to work. For me, it was never about getting out of bed early. I'm a morning person anyway. It's the number of variations involved in cooking people's eggs. Boiled or poached from soft through to hard. And please don't get me started on the bloody fried egg. Sunny side up, over easy, soft, medium, over hard. Whichever way, I'm over fried eggs forever. Our modern world has given us egg poaching pans, egg timers, and all sorts of other plastic and silicon devices that can cook eggs, even in the microwave. Of all of these gadgets, I'm really not sure which is the most useless. Is it the vacuum egg separator, the egg cracking device, or even worse still, the microwavable omelette maker? For today's gadget test, I thought I'd get the only other morning person I know, Chef Neil Tomes, to test an egg contraption that we've never seen before.
3: So what I have in my hand is um, an egg-shaped stainless steel gadget uh, with a flat bottom, a dial on the upper side that can spin round from a lock position to a punch position, yes? It's like a typical Saturday night sort of like head mentality, isn't it? Lock or punch. Um, Okay, so um, now um, I assume the lock is uh, a safety thing so that children can't stab themselves or adults can't cause them any injuries um although that sort of hastens the question about sort of why knives don't have safety modes and stuff like that isn't it you know so basically i'm going to unlock i'm going to unlock i'm going to go to punch okay and now this allows you to push the disc the dial down which will reveal um a little pointy thing a little prick um and uh yeah it's, it's actually a very sharp little prick <laughs> okay now um i'm gonna try it so the idea is i think that because the egg contains some air and because the pressure builds up instantly when you drop a cold egg into hot water um the idea is i believe that this releases the air okay so i've done it there we go So yes, So there's a tiny little prick at the end of the eggs now and I'm going to put them inside. Can I have a spoon please? And they're in. Um, I'm going to put timer on for four minutes, four and a half minutes.
1: What's the device
3: supposed to do? Okay, so I believe that it allows the pressure to come out of the egg and therefore allow the egg not to crack or to mitigate the egg from cracking
1: it's supposed to
3: stop the egg from cracking yeah okay so it, well it seems to have um, been successful in that case because actually um, those eggs are not breaking they're not cracking structure remains good Okay. now I'm just going to try another little experiment of mine I'm going to take an egg and I'm going to use a knife and I'm going to pop a, a little hole in the bottom of it. How much is this device?
1: $55.
3: Okay, I've just saved $55 <laughs> by stubbing the egg.
1: And, and also put an egg in that you don't actually stick that on. That I don't, egg.
3: okay, good point, yeah. Okay, so now we're going to...
1: Well, it's an egg without a point in we
3: it. We are now going to put a normal... These are slightly chilled, these eggs. I'm going to put a normal one in and we'll see what's going to happen. Will the slightly chilled, normal egg... Explode. Ah, somewhat of a disappointment. Actually, they are, they seem to be fine. What I would normally do is to um, to stop basically that happening, I would just take a couple of eggs and run them under some warm tap water, which I'll do now. And basically, they'll, they'll, they'll warm the, the egg up just a little bit so that the, the shock. Of the, um, the egg going into the hot water um, is reduced and then basically they, they they shouldn't crack and there you go simple as that now let's look at this egg no this egg hasn't cracked neither we've got some got some pretty impressive eggs today haven't we okay so I honestly I would say it's an interesting device the um, the egg pricker um, I I, I don't see it replacing a knife I think you could do it with the point of a knife just as easily um, I think if you're a diabetic, possibly there'd be some um, some dual purpose for this you could give yourself a little prick, you know, occasionally um, but no, I honestly $55, it's going to get lost you're going to get loads of m- muck in, in there if you break an egg while doing it you're going to have all that crap inside the the little hole and that's going to be, be a nightmare to get out but um, I'd, write, I'd give it like two out of ten. And that's only if I was diabetic. Rubbish.
1: Neil will be back in a bit with an all-of-a-sudden famous Liverpudlian sausage called the Kirby. But before then, let's have a look at a book from my bookshelf. In my opinion... Television has been the best and also the worst thing for the food and beverage industry. It has made glamorous a profession that was once the fallback choice for some who preferred playing outside to studying maths or poetry. It's painted many a pretty picture of magically going from the dish pit to putting up plates of Michelle Bras style beauty within six months, leaving fresh-from-cooking college graduates regretting their choices amongst the pile of potato peels. What television and, of course, the publishing industry has also done is turn the cooking of food and the running of restaurants into a lifestyle. If you can show me a serious restaurateur who says he or she has a fantastic work-life balance or any semblance of a normal lifestyle, I'll eat my chef's hat. The hard yards of it are all relegated to the paperbacks like Kitchen Controversial and Humble Pie, not these colourful TV cooking contests, romantic foodie journeys through Spain, or very far from reality kitchen life dramas. On a very positive side, though, it's also brought the spotlight on many chefs and restaurants who do fall outside that exclusive posh food guide realm opening the consumer up to a world of places we may not have known about these venues get the exposure that they deserve for the quality and the experience they deliver and it leads to as they say in our game bums on seats so it's a win-win For today's cookbook, I looked past the As Seen on TV label on the fabulous Baker Boys and decided to get it anyway. Now, I haven't seen their show, but by all accounts, it's entertaining. As is the norm in today's celebrity chef world, you can't have a TV show without a book, a range of kitchen equipment from spatulas to saucepans, and a selection of ingredients packaged with your face plastered all over it. There's a special place in hell reserved for Chef Emeril Lagasse for starting all of that. But anyway, the fabulous Baker Brothers book isn't just a book on bread. It has a great number of recipes that are perfect for breakfast, lunch and, of course, dinner. And given that the brothers Henry and Tom Herbert run their own butchery and bakery called Hobbs House, you can be assured of a good spread of things to keep you in the kitchen. The book is laid out well with easy-to-follow recipes and some helpful tips. I have to add that there are certainly much better books on the subject of bread, so if you are looking for a definitive bread-baking book, I'd steer you away from this one onto something a little bit more focused. But if you already have a good cookbook collection and want something to add to it, for trying now and again, why not? But for now, it's time to cut your toast into soldiers and head over to my pot of alphabet soup, For a little bit more on the letter F. F is for French toast, pan perdu to some, and eggy bread to others. The fried bread, breakfast that's perfect with bacon and maple syrup. F is for frittata, the Italian open-faced omelette that's first fried, then baked to make it all puffy. And yes, F is also for fromage-free, that almost fat-free curd cheese that's good for fruit and other guilt-free feasts. fromage frais is traditionally found in the sorts of places that sell triple-skim, caffeine-free soy milk chai lattes to bearded hipsters who eat smashed organic avo on gluten-free toast. That reminds me of another F word when I'm asked if something is gluten free. But rather than share that with you, let me bring a nutty into to our alphabet soup with a much more polite F for frangipan. A full fat, sugar rich almond packed pastry cream that's made with flour, eggs and butter. It's used for making desserts, especially tarts. Talking about nutty goodness for breakfast, let's get a best ever recipe for chocolate spread, from chef Grégoire Michaud.
4: It's very simple. The ingredients are um, uh, brown sugar, uh, water, uh, cocoa powder, uh, praline paste. Uh, So I use uh, unsweetened cocoa powder and unsweetened uh, praline paste. So praline paste means uh, like a a hazelnut uh, ground into a paste uh, without sugar. Um, dark chocolate. I, I like to use uh, uh, something around 70%, but you c- can use it uh, less or more or less, depending on how intense you want your chocolate. Butter, and then uh, roasted and chopped hazelnuts. And I like to add a little uh, salt in there to to um, bring out the to support the roundness of the sugar and the chocolate. What you do is uh, you you give a boil to your brown sugar and uh, water. To make it like a, like a syrup, just uh, one, one boil, and then you add uh, you melt inside the the chocolate, and then you add also the cocoa powder. You mix this until it's smooth. Then you add your uh, uh, paling paste, and at the end, when you, you let it cool a little bit, uh, just to around uh, 35 degrees and then you add your butter, so the butter don't melt into liquid, but it stays creamy. Mm-hmm. You mix all this uh, smooth. Then you add finally the, the roasted and chopped hazelnuts and a little pinch, pinch of salt. You, uh, you keep this uh, maybe, uh, you, so you put it in a jar. Uh, you can keep it at room temperature and wait until a few hours until uh, the butter and the chocolate have set, and then you can enjoy. Big thanks to Chef Greg Wami-Show. Now, if savoury is the way that you
1: prefer to enjoy your breakfast, let's head over and talk again to Chef Neil Tomes about the banger, Sanger or whatever you like to call The Old English Breakfast Sausage Scouser style
3: These sausages remind me of when like I was a kid in Liverpool and all that So uh, yeah um, Because like it's for like you know The Hong Kong market uh, I'm, I'm going to like do it in, a, in, in Proper English you know so, the story of the Kirby sausage, yeah, is, uh, well, it's from Kirby, you know, uh, and the only other thing from a Kirby is Kirby Kiss, which is actually a lot different from a Kirby sausage. Kirby Kiss is like a headbutt. Um, so, yeah, basically it's a pork sausage, and, uh, but in, typical in that, in that sort of like, uh, you know, during the war and all that, uh, I don't personally know it, you know, but during the war there was, uh, not that much, much uh, everything was rationed, so you didn't have that much stuff. So basically, you'd uh, basically, you know, you'd ha- you'd have to uh, cut the meat with a bit of a uh, bit of filler, which was like rusk. And rusk is just like a, it's like a, a flour and water and baking powder mixture, which you bake and then you dry. And it's like it's sort of like breadcrumbs and all that, but but it's uh, it absorbs much more water, apparently. Uh, Okay, now we're on to the pork filling, yeah? Get yourself your casings, um, your sausage casings, um, your hog casings, unless you want, like, Chippelard-style sausages. And then you go for a lamb casing, because they're smaller. Um, You need to soak them in water. You can get them from a specialist supplier. Uh, So you get your pork, 2.25 kilograms of pork shoulder. Um, Get a reasonably fatty cut, um, because fat is flavour. We want one and a half cups of chicken stock. We want five tablespoons of salt. I know that sounds like a lot of salt, okay? But, you know, it's a sausage, so shut up. Right, you get one cup of rusk. Now, that, after that's been dried, it's been blended, yeah? So that's like, it's like fine, very fine breadcrumbs. Uh, and then four teaspoons of black ground pepper. One teaspoon of ground ginger. I mean, if you really want to, you can mince some fresh ginger into it. Uh, and a teaspoon of mace. There's, I don't know if you know what mace is. Mace is like basically the outer shell of a nutmeg. It's like a very fine uh, membrane. Uh, red, quite red, it's lovely. Uh, anyway, that just gives it a little a little nutmeggy flavour. And then uh, one teaspoon of ground fennel. Toast your spices, right? And then basically you're going to grind your pork, chill it down, chop it up, grind it on a six mil plate, Put it back in the fridge or freezer, chill it down again for half an hour, an hour, and then put it back through a three mil plate. That should give you a really nice sort of uh, minced up mixture. And then you can put that in a food processor uh, or a KitchenAid, depending on, with a paddle, depending on uh, uh, how fine you want your mix. And then mix it together, get it all combined and then you put it into your sausage stuffer, which I presume, if you've got a Kitchen Aid, will be like Kitchen Aid's attachment. Put you know, put your soaked um, skin on there, and then and then pop it through and make your sausages. And what I love about these sausages is that they take me back to when I was a kid, because they're like, they're the really sort of quite pureed pork style sausages, which you know they're called bangers essentially because. Because they had so much water in there and filler in them, like, they'd really explode in the pan. So they were called bangers, but they're lovely. I love them. Take me back to my childhood. Breakfast isn't breakfast without oink. Without a frying pan, there is no point. You can keep your croch, madame, your croissants, toast and jam... You can tell those bloody French I'm not a fan.
0: Cos
3: breakfast isn't breakfast without oink. Outside a greasy spoon there is no point. You can keep your apple mash, your Benedicts and hash. Those healthy breakfasts are for hipster trash.
1: Thanks for that, Neil. I think. As they say breakfast is served and that means we're done for the day i'll be back next week with our galloping wine gourmet jcvns who will be in burgundy france i've also got chef jack carson hong kong's ragin cajun and other unforgettable food stories chef vinnie returns this time he's chatting about music and cooking so that's it from me jason black have a great weekend bye for now
0: of course join chef Jason Black next uh, week at the same time for another B is for Bacon show. You can find all of today's recipes on his Facebook page. B is for Bacon on RTHK3. Five UK singles.
5: Five. Dropping two notches reaching this week's number five is Rihanna featuring Drake with Work. Four. Theme. This is Work From Home, highest climber this week for seven notches of a climb in total. At this week number four, featuring Ty Dolla Sign, it's Fifth Harmony. Three. Sarah Larson on her latest single, finally reaching top three positions. This is Lush Life. Two. Breaking Uptown Funk's record for being the longest reigning number one, it's finally making way for a new chart topper. Lucas Granit with seven years down at this week's number two.
0: The UK's official number one.
5: Congratulations to the return of Mike Posner. The brand new singer called In evita is this week's number one on the UK singles chart. Besides, this is Mike Posner, and you listen to my girl, Alison
3: Howe. Keep your hands off. She's mine.
5: For more chart action updates, tune in every Saturday afternoon with me, Alison Howe, for Top 5 at 5.
0: International hits on a global station.
5: This is
0: Radio 3. Coming up shortly, of course, news at nine, after which, eh, yes, it's the touch of the juice all the way to lunch. But meantime, the weather says um, humid maritime airstream is affecting us, definitely. Foggy conditions, humid conditions all over the place. And you can look forward to that over the weekend as well, including our holiday Monday. Uh, today's maximum toll is going to be quite warm, warm and sticky, up to around 26 degrees with light to moderate south easterly winds. As I said, humid outlook for the next few days after that. And apparently some isolated thunderstorms as well over the Qingming Festival. Currently 20, 20 degrees.